Hello, welcome back to the Stars Made Me Do It. We got Sierra. Hello. Mimi. Hello. And Martha here, and we are talking about Juneteenth today. Today's episode is in honor of Juneteenth. And before we get into it, um, just a reminder, as always, to go follow us on all the socials on Instagram. We're at the Stars Made Me Podcast. That's where we share everything about this podcast. And then individually, you can find Martha at Divine Alignment with Martha. You can find Mimi at Mimi's.me or Harvey, Harvey.alchemy. Yes. Yes. Harvey Mountain. Alchemy. <laughs> Harvey Mountain. Alchemy. And then you can find me over at magical.bookclub. So yeah, go follow for all the things, all the updates, all the news. And yeah, today is a special episode in honor of Juneteenth. Yeah, we wanted to do something a little bit different in honor of um, historical figures that we felt were like underrepresented in our education system. So basically what we're going to be doing is sharing their story and then looking at their charts and how that plays into their lives. Um, and I just want to disclaim, like, I know this can be a place of discomfort and uh, our intention here is to educate ourselves and maybe educate other people and really just hold these people who didn't get to shine in their time, uh, really getting to like honor them and um, let them shine a little. And, and what we also like talked about, like, as we were coming up with ideas and everything for this episode is like, there's just the discomfort in the fact that we are obviously three white women doing an episode mm. on Juneteenth. And I think that that's something that that's an uncomfortable, like we are ignorant in many ways and are trying to educate ourselves and, uh, and want to, like Mimi said, like highlight some of these people that maybe haven't been highlighted before, but also, yeah, we are learning too. So if you're someone listening and, you know, we get stuff wrong, please feel free to like constructive criticism, educate us. Like we're here to learn and, um, yeah. and also just shed some light. Yeah. Let's get freaking into it. Let's do it. <laughs> so we're going to talk about them and then talk about their astrology a little bit and see how that, like, you know, we've done some history episodes. What's up cousin, Justin, if you're listening and, um, yeah, we're going to give you like a little bit of a history about three uh, historical figures and then talk a little bit about their astrology. Yeah. yeah. So I am not American. So for the people who are not American out there who don't know what Juneteenth is, I'm actually just talking at a, about a person of color who is from Canada. So we're just kind of honoring people of, col of color yeah. in general for Juneteenth, not necessarily American people. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. So Mimi, why don't you, uh, why don't you jump into it with your, with yeah. your person? I want to learn. I'll go first. So, um, I chose Audre Lorde, uh, and basically what I'll be doing is I'm going to read this article from poetryfoundation.org. Uh, she was a poet. Um, and I mean, long story short, she was a, um, queer black woman <laughs> who was educated and an incredible writer. Um, so a self-described Black, lesbian, mother, warrior, poet, Audre Lorde dedicated both her life and her creative talent to confronting and addressing injustices of racism, sexism, classism, and homophobia. Lorde was born in New York City to West Indian immigrant parents. She attended Catholic schools before graduating from Hunter High School and published her first poem in Seventeen magazine while still a student there, which wow. incredible at that oh, time. Man. I should say she was, um, let me look actually, she was born, I think, 1936. So that's sort of the time that we're looking at. 
uh, let's see, of her poetic beginnings, Lord commented in Black Women Writers, a poem, I used to speak in poetry. I would read poems and I would memorize them. People would say, well, what do you think, Audra? What happened to you yesterday? And I would recite a poem and somewhere in that poem would be a line or a feeling I would be sharing. In other words, I literally communicated through poetry. Mm. And when I couldn't find the poems to express the thing I was feeling, that's what started me writing poetry. And that was when I was 12 or 13. Love that. I'm excited to see her chart. Yeah, <laughs> so Just excited. off of that, I know. So Lord earned her bachelor's from Hunter College and MLS from Columbia University. I'm assuming that's her master's. Um, she was a librarian in the New York public schools throughout the 1960s. She had two children with her husband, Ed- Edwin Rollins, a white gay man, before they divorced in 1970. And then in 1972, Lord met her longtime partner, Francis Clayton. She also began teaching as poet in residence at Tougaloo College. Her experiences with teaching and pedagogy, 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 as well as her place as a black queer woman in white academia went on to inform her life and work. Indeed, Lord's contributions to feminist theory, critical race studies, and queer theory intertwine her personal experiences with broader political aims. Lord articulated early on uh, the intersections of race, class, and gender in canonical wit- essays, such as the master's tool will not dismantle the master's house. And then in this article, it kind of lists like a bunch of her poems. I'm just going to skip that little paragraph. Um, I have a duty, Lord once stated, to speak the truth as I see it and to share not just my triumphs, not just the things that felt good, but the pain, the intense, often unmitigated pain. Lord's later poems were often assembled from personal journals um, and trigger warning for abuse against people of color, uh, explaining the genesis of Power, which is a poem about the police shooting of a 10-year-old black child. Lord discussed her feelings when she learned that the officer involved had been acquitted. A kind of fury rose up in me, she said. The sky turned red. I felt so sick. I felt as if I would drive this car into a wall, into the next person I saw. So I pulled over. I took out my journal just to air some of my fury, to get it out of my fingertips. Those expressed feelings are that poem. And I have to say, like, I have a note here. I read that poem and it is not one to read when you are trying to relax. It is it is so raw. It is so powerful. Um, and she does go into detail about the injustice against, against this child. Um, yeah. So moving on. Her poetry, and indeed all of her writing, according to contributor Joan Martin in Black Women Writers, a critical evaluation, rings with passion, sincerity, perception, and depth of feeling. Concerned with modern society's tendency to categorize groups of people, Lord fought that marginalization of such categories as lesbian and Black woman. She was central to many liberation movements and activist circles, including second wave feminism, civil rights, and Black cultural movements, and struggles for LGBTQ equality. In particular, Lord's poetry is known for the power of its call for social and racial justice, as well as its depictions of queer experience and sexuality. As she told interviewer Charles H. Rowell in Callaloo, my sexuality is part and parcel of who I am, and my poetry comes from the intersection of me and my worlds. Uh, white arch art conservative Senator Jesse Helms objection to my work is not about obscenity or even about sex. It is about revolution and change. Um, and then let's see, uh, 
Lord was a noted prose writer as well as poet. Her account of her struggle to overcome breast cancer and a mastectomy, the Cancer Journals, is regarded as a major work of illness narrative. In the Cancer Journals, Lord confronts the possibility of death. Recounting this personal transformation led Lord to address the silence surrounding cancer, illness, and the lived experience of women. For example, Lord explained her decision not to wear a prosthesis after undergoing a mastectomy in the journals. Prosthesis offers the empty comfort of nobody will know the difference. But Oof. it is that very difference which I wish to affirm because I have lived it and survived it and wish to share that strength with other women. If we are to translate the silence surrounding breast cancer into language and action against this scourge, then the first step is that women with mastectomies must become visible to each other. So it was like she was just not only fighting for Black people, but Black women and all women. And her like feminism was so intersectional. It was really inclusive of everybody. In 1981, Lord and fellow writers Cherie Moraga and Barbara Smith found Kitchen Table, Women of Color Press, which was dedicated to furthering the writings of Black feminists. Lord would also become increasingly concerned over the plight of Black women in South Africa under apartheid, creating sisterhood in support of sisters in South Africa, and remaining an active voice on behalf of these women throughout the remainder of her life. Lord addressed her concerns to not only the United States, but the world, encouraging a celebration of the differences that society instead used as tools of isolation. As Alison Kimmick wrote in Feminist Writers, throughout all of Audre Lorde's writing, both nonfiction and fiction, a single theme surfaces repeatedly. The Black lesbian feminist poet activist reminds her readers that they ignore differences among people at their peril. Instead, Lord suggests differences in race or class must serve as a reason for celebration and growth. Um, and so I really, really like this article because you have literal quotes from her. You really yeah. get to hear her voice and what she says. Um, that was, that so, was really interesting. Like, and also I'll, well, like I'll get to mine later, but it's crazy how I have some parallels in the person that I looked into mm -hmm. from there. And I just think it's like really timely with everything going on in the world right now and mm -hmm. and just with like reverse weight and everything and how this I don't know just women just fighting to be equal people but yeah but she sounds like an incredibly epic human I know and it's something that I think like gets talked about but doesn't get talked about nearly enough is the intersectionality of feminism and how a lot of feminists who aren't people of color I mean essentially white feminists are not being fully inclusive of all women you know yeah. and so that's such a conversation to have about like how can we be even more inclusive and how can we really make sure that equality is being found like all around the table um you know it's just like a huge huge self-reflection that you have to do often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do have a poem that I really liked that I did want to read. Um, and so if that's okay, do you guys mind? No, I'm stoked okay. to listen. Okay. Okay. Just so we can like hear her voice. Uh, so this poem I chose is a litany for survival. Um, okay. And if you want to go read power, really go read it. <laughs> it's really raw. Um, Maybe that's just my Scorpio Nadir, like I want intensity, but uh, just like really living in that. It's intense. Anyway, a litany for survival by Audre Lord. For those of us who live at the shoreline, standing upon the constant edges of decision, crucial and alone. For those of us who cannot indulge the passing dreams of choice, who love in doorways coming and going in the hours between dawns. 
looking inward and outward, at once before and after, seeking a now that can breed futures, like bread in our children's mouths so their dreams will not, affect, will not reflect the death of ours. For those of us who were imprinted with fear, like a faint line in the center of our foreheads, learning to be afraid with our mother's milk, for by this weapon, this illusion of some safety to be found, the heavy-footed hope to silence us. For all of us, this instant and this triumph, we were never meant to survive. And when the sun rises, we are afraid it might not remain. When the sun sets, we are afraid it might not rise in the morning. When our stomachs are full, we are afraid of indigestion. When our stomachs are empty, we are afraid we may never eat again. When we are loved, we are afraid love will vanish. When we are alone, we are afraid love will never return. And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard, not welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Ooh. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That that is such a I I I love when things still like are so pertinent now do you know what I mean like that's just something I mean, that yeah, I feel like everybody <laughs> exactly like I wish it wasn't but even just like in everyday life when it's like you know there's I feel like there's a constant push and pull between do I share this do I stay silent like like oh but people who are in relationships are like oh my god like this might have been easier when I was single and people who are single are like I'd give anything to be in a relationship and like I think that was just mm. I don't, such a beautiful uh kind of harsh truth you know yeah yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of her, that's so what is so incredible about her poetry is that she's not afraid. She's not afraid, or maybe she was afraid, but she did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Even like us making this episode before we decided to do it, we kind of had like a talk, like is how can three passing white women, I won't call you a white woman, Mimi, um, were, yeah, we were like, how do we how do we speak for a community that we're not necessary we're not a part of, and that we don't yeah. know we don't walk in those shoes? And is it worse to make an episode and say the wrong things, or not say anything at all? Mm, exactly. And I think that poem tells us, no, make the episode, make the mistakes, because um, you're going to yeah. be afraid no matter what. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and trusting that we're working on you know, I don't want this to be about us working on being better, but it, you know, that's our intention here is to educate and shine light, but also to educate ourselves and, and make sure that, you know, we're doing the work as well. She, I mean, that poem audience. is just so beautiful. Yeah. She's so beautiful the way that she writes um, and just like relating it to like womanhood, you know, the, that, being afraid by your mother's milk and it being passed down and that's on you know generational trauma and stuff like that so uh, I wanted to kind of look at her chart she is an Aquarius sun a Taurus moon and a Libra rising um, yeah and what's incredible about her chart she's a 29 degree Aquarius sun and we haven't really talked about degrees but that 29 degree mark is a really really uh, in-depth one when it comes to what sign it's in. And yeah. it's also known like around the Facebook uh, or actually not just Facebook astrology, but as the fame degree, because it is a Leo degree. And so the fact that she was famous for being an activist, a humanitarian, someone who takes action for progress, how 29 degree Aquarius is that? Yeah. That's my midheaven. 
29 degrees. Mm. Aquarius. <laughs> She's my new bestie. No, um, I, I love that Libra rising too for like kind of what I was saying, like this side versus justice. that side. And mm-hmm. the justice part of it too, but like literally like that poem that you read so, you know, uh, highlighting how there's this side and there's that side to everything, which is such a Libra rising way of seeing the world. Like, not mm-hmm. like not picking a side, but not like, but having, having an awareness, having such an awareness of both sides is, you know, Libra mm-hmm. rising energy. Well, yeah, because not only is she, I mean, she's lived the black person experience, but she also lived in a society of white academia, you know, like she yeah. was very well educated. And I mean, all of her peers are not all of her peers, but many, most of her peers were people who were white. And yeah. so she did see both sides quite intimately. Yeah. Um, and for anybody who guessed it, yes, her Mercury is in Pisces. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where the hell is the Pisces? When she was like, my poetry is like an invitation into my my world. Or yeah, she, I she communicate through like poetry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's like her. That. She literally said, I communicate through poetry. Like, <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And how cool that, like, this is the person that you decided to learn about. And you have so many similar, like, you've got Mars and Pisces. She, I'm looking at her chart now. She's mm. got Mars and Pisces. You're a Taurus moon. She's a Taurus moon. Yeah. I mean, like, that's not, okay, so that's many things, but, but exactly, that's someone that you were drawn to. And I love that. Mm. Yeah. And so that Taurus moon being in the eighth house, like that to me is, is so is, is you can see it as well because she's like, okay, I can see how I'm feeling. I know I need to share how I'm feeling. It's going to be more than your average. Like it's a, a many layers deeper than what a lot of people are sharing, which is that eighth house. Um, and she also has like her Chiron in Taurus in the eighth. So it's like, not only was she feeling it, she was feeling it so intensely so deeply and with Pisces placements just like right in there and then something else in her 12th house she's got Neptune in Virgo in her 12th house and so Neptune being that very poet rules Pisces which is 12th house you know it's so living in like an ocean of poetry (laughs) that's just like I so see that in her um and then kind of one of my uh, last observations was uh, that her midheaven is in cancer. So really showing up as a woman, not just as, yeah. uh, you know, no alias or nothing. She, she was herself in a world that did not accept her. And she showed up as fearlessly woman. Um, mm-hmm. And her Lilith is conjunct that midheaven of how people see her. She is going to do it because it is her rightful rage. It is her, it is her rightful passion. Um, and you know, that is the fight that she was fighting. Ooh. And yeah, we haven't gone over Lilith yet, but, or yeah. we've mentioned it here and there, but it just is considered a placement of your rightful rage, like you said. And so for yeah. your rightful rage to be right, like right on top of your midheaven, like the way in which the world mm-hmm. sees you, it's like a come at me world. See me how I am. Yeah. This is who I am. And, yeah. and, and Lilith also yeah. represents like literally the like scorned woman yeah Yeah, it's like the woman that gets pushed down yeah and she's like no i'm gonna make sure people see this woman that got pushed down yeah Yeah. i know so she was really moving to me um and so thank you guys for letting me talk about her yeah Yeah, thanks for sharing i want to go read her poetry does she have a book 
Um, she has a lot of writings. I don't know if she has a book, um, but we can look into that. Yeah, we yeah we can look into that after. I, I would mm. be really interested in that. Well, my person actually kind of follows along really well right after Mimi's because it she's also actually has a couple of similar placements, but is a writer and um and had I don't know just I found some parallels in what you were sharing, so I'll go ahead and share my uh my person next. And I'm talking about Alice, Allison Dunnigan. And she was born in 1906. So this is like, she's like 30 years wow. older than, yeah. um, than who you were just telling us. Audra. The, Audra. Yeah. So yeah, Allison, sorry, Alice Allison. That was like a lot for my brain to get. Alice <laughs> Allison Dunnigan. Uh, she was an American journalist, a civil rights activist, and an author. And Dunnigan was the first African-American female correspondent to receive White House credentials and the first Black Whoa. female member of the Senate and House of Representatives press galleries. So um, also most of my information is through um, is through Wikipedia. Just, just putting that out there. But, um, but yeah, so she is, she is like the first, she definitely paved the way for like the press being like the first black female, uh, I guess, auth authorized member to mm. be able to report on everything going on in the white house. So wow. she, uh, was a black native American and white descent and she had connections to both slave and slave owning families, which is very interesting. Um, and she chronicled the decline of Jim Crow during the 1940s and 1950s, which influenced her to become a civil rights activist. And during her time as a reporter, she became the first black journalist to accompany a president while traveling, covering Harry Truman's 1948 campaign. And this is actually super recent, like this year in 2022, the White House Correspondents Association created the Dunnigan Payne Lifetime Achievement Award in memory of Dunnigan and a fellow White House reporter, uh, Ethel Payne. So I didn't know that this was like really recent that she's being recognized. And yeah, and that's very, you know, this she was born in 1906, you know, and this is happening yeah. in like the, the 40s and 50s. Yeah, that's what I've been like, I don't know, I just feel like I've been hearing that a lot about um, you know, people of color who are really paving the way and they don't even get recognized until like 30, 40 years after they've passed. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, like, even though this is way overdue, it just mm -hmm. makes you realize the importance of learning mm -hmm. about people in the past so that you can then pay attention more in the present, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, very similar to what you said, I don't know if I have it quoted in here, but very similar to what you said about Audra, um, Alice said something like how she'd been writing since she was basically like 12 or something. She's considered herself a writer mm -hmm. since she was like 12. And so um, her dream is to experience the world through the life of a newspaper reporter. And so she graduated high school and completed a teaching course. Then it was thanks to a Sunday school teacher for intervening who was like, hey, she needs to go to college. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was the basically thanks to that she was able to go to college and she then became a high school teacher, but it was still in a segregated school. So she taught in a segregated school and her, the class that she, the classes she was teaching, they weren't aware of or how uh, Amer African-Americans contributed to like the Commonwealth. So she prepared a Kentucky facts sheet and it was like a text just made for her students being like, this is how African-Americans contribute to the Commonwealth. But they ended up being collected and like formed a manuscript that was eventually published. So she kind of like created her own 
teaching material that later became genuine, you know, published material. Um, and then she moved to DC, Washington, DC in 1942 during world war II, like to look for, uh, a different job and more money and to get connections with the government. Um, so she was writing for the Chicago defender as like a Washington correspondent. And it was a, this was a black owned, uh, weekly newspaper and it did not use the words Negro or black in its pages. Instead, they were referred to as race. Like they would say race men and race women in their papers. Yeah. And um, she eventually got press credentials to cover the Congress and the Senate. And it took a long time for her to get those credentials. She was initially denied, but then was the first African-American woman to gain accreditation. And then in 1948, uh, she was one of three African-Americans and one of two women in the press corps that followed uh, President Harry Truman's Western campaign. And she paid her own way to do it, like in order to be able to follow, like she paid her own way to do it. And that year she became the first African-American female White House correspondent, like I said before. And she was the first black woman elected to a woman's national press club. And then during her years covering the White House, uh, she suffered like many of the racial indignities of the time, but also earned a reputation as a hard hitting reporter. And she was like, she wasn't allowed to go into certain establishments to like record these events. And so like covering President Eisenhower, uh, she had to like sit with the servants and at Senator Taft's funeral, she had to, yeah, yeah. So she like wasn't allowed actually. And even though she was, you know, accredited, extremely well-educated professional woman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I read something too, where people like assume she was some sort of like, uh, like foreign dignitary or something like that, because they're like, certainly a black white woman could not be here unless she was, uh, the wife of someone exceptionally important, something like that, Mm. you know? And uh, yeah, the wife of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I know. Um, and so, uh, no, oh yeah. And then she, they were like, you have to submit your questions, uh, before the press conference. And she was like, no, I'm not submitting my questions before the press conference because nobody else has to submit their questions before a press conference. So I'm not doing it either. And um, and when Kennedy took office, he apparently welcomed Dunnigan's like tough questions and answered them, frankly. So, um, yeah, so she was she was a tough one, too. Like she was just as professional as any professional, you know. And mm-hmm. then in 1960, Dunnigan left her seat in the press gallery galleries to take a position on Lyndon B. Johnson's campaign for the Democratic nomination. But uh, Kennedy won the nomination, but chose Johnson as his running mate and named Dunnigan educational consultant of the president's committee on equal employment opportunity. So she remained with the committee until 1965. And then between 1966 and 67, she worked as an information specialist for the Department of Labor and then as an editorial assistant for the President's Council of Youth Opportunity. And so she was inducted into the Black Journalist Hall of Fame in 1985, two years after her death. So again, what you said, it's not until Mm. she's gone that she gets recognized, but Mm. she was incredible and and just like super paved the way for people you know, for women, but for black women, for both, uh, you know, any African-American in the United States, any woman uh, to be one of three African-Americans working uh, for anything White House related and one of two women, you know, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And these are people that like, we didn't learn about in our education system. (laughs) Like that to me, just, there's so many important people and people who are people of color that like we did not learn about it's so it's so maddening it's so maddening 
And just thinking like from a teacher perspective, like I, if Mm. I was able to teach about her to my students, like the amount of like that could have sparked, you know, someone, I don't know. I just love that. Yeah. And also just feeling represented as a little child, like a little black child or, you know, a little, you know, person of color child, like not to hear about these people that were, that looked like you, that came from your heritage, like not to hear that those people did incredible things that really does something to like a child's developing mind. And also like as much as she did incredible things, like this is incredible things. And I want to say like everyday life world, like this isn't this isn't an ending world hunger, incredible thing. This is a Mm. really like, you're a normal person with normal dreams that did something by working really hard. Like, I just feel like Mm. it's totally every everyday people achievable greatness. And that's something Mm. that really sparks your like, I mean, my like niche of kid was your average kid. And I feel (laughs) like this is something, the normal, the normal, like (laughs) middle ground kid. And like, how amazing would that be for someone to be like, wow, I want to be a writer. And here's someone who did that. And it actually like, wasn't even, I don't know. She just, anyways, she was amazing. And to talk about her astrology a little bit. It's funny because I actually found some Mimi similarities uh, to her as well. <laughs> and and also crazy how we have like both uh, both of our people so far have these Taurus placements and it's mm. um, it's just, it's interesting. Well, but, that's but- when being stubborn comes into play. Like yes. being stubborn is what you need when you're trying to make changes in the world. It's Mm. like, no, I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep forcing myself into this job that I deserve and where I deserve respect. Like that is Mm. where Taurus energy comes in. Like being stubborn is a good thing. That is so true. I just, I did a reading for someone uh, the other day where they were Taurus sun and moon. And I was explaining like, yes, this comes up, this comes out as stubborn and stubborn can be seen as a bad thing, but it's also that Taurus energy is energy that doesn't care how long it takes. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, you're not going to change my mind on this because I don't care if it takes 20 years. Whereas like my mutable ass is like, okay, it, it, oh two God. days is long enough to wait. It didn't happen. You know, <laughs> I'm just thinking about Mitch who just installed cabinets for me and it took four hours and I was like, why can't it be here now? Like my Aries not having it. Um, but yeah, Taurus also understands like the conventions and traditions and sort of then knows how to like get into the nucleus to split it up because it knows how that conventional like works. Yeah. Yeah. And so she is a Taurus sun. We don't know her rising, but um, Alice is a Taurus sun, Gemini moon. And then Mm. she has Taurus Venus, Taurus Mars, uh, Gemini Jupiter, and she has Gemini and Pluto. Yeah. Pluto and Gemini conjunct her moon. And then uh, she's got an Aries Mercury. She's got Saturn Pisces and she's got North Node in Leo. And I was just like thinking about how she's got the Taurus energy that you have Mimi, but she's got the Taurus Venus. She's got the mm. Aries Mercury and she's got the Saturn Pisces. And I was like, wow, that's someone. Oh, wow. Who, yeah. I didn't know any of that, like going into this. I was like, that's a lot of like overlap and placements. But I also found wow. it interesting that you were like, what you kind of were drawn to is some of the similarities in yourself with Audra. But I... I was like, man, of course, another Gemini moon. I'm like, you're awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's also yeah, interesting so because um, your Alice, Allison has the North Node in Leo, but then Aud- Audra mm-hmm. has the North Node in Aquarius. And it's yeah. funny because Alice Allison was famous for like her 
like being herself in journalism, but then odd, odd. I keep saying that and I want to say Audrey because it's kind of written like that, but my brain just kind of works like that. Odd uh, was famous for like standing up for women in general, not just Mm. like women in that one career, you know, not that not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying like how it shows up. It's very different Leo Aquarius energy. Very true. Yeah. I also should point out, like, when looking at people who really paved the way in historical, like, in society and stuff, I think that's when, like, looking at Uranus is a really good, is really a good indicator of, like, where their genius shows up, where their progress shows up. And for Alice Allison, it comes out in Capricorn, in the workplace. In the government. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the government. And then for Audra, it was in Aries, so, and in the seventh house. So, like, standing up for yourself like let yourself speak let yourself be seen kind of thing so I'm interested to see what um your person's Uranus is too yeah but anyways she she was amazing I feel like that Gemini Jupiter that Gemini Pluto conjunct the moon the Gemini moon Mm. so much um you know communicating writer energy but and but then that Taurus sun, the Taurus Venus, the Taurus Mars, the how you get things done is a, I am immovable. Like, absolutely not. I'm not giving you my answers ahead of time. Cause I feel like me with the Gemini Mars would be like, fine. If you want my answers ahead of time, like whatever, because I'm going to do it anyways. If that makes it easier for you, I don't care. But mm. a, a Taurus a Mars is like, absolutely freaking not, you know, like this mm-hmm. is why should I have to do that? And I just feel like that. And she has Mars conjunct Venus too. So like mm. that masculine feminine together and yeah, that, that immovable Taurus energy in such a badass way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also 29 degrees. Yes. She's Damn. famous for that slow and steady. She is. Work. She is. Yes. Yeah. So true. So true. Wow. That so yeah. Very cool. All right, Martha, um, we're ready for a Canadian, huh? Okay, so I kind of went at it from a different angle, Um, mainly because, okay, so I'm doing Viola Desmond. Fun fact for any Canadians who will know this, we had like a heritage heritage fair in elementary school where we had to research someone. And I actually did Viola Desmond when I was in elementary school. But of course, that's way long ago. So I forget everything. So it was really fun to re-research her. Um, Mm. But she's not famous for that stubborn Taurus energy. She actually has like one specific event that happened, which made her famous for being a civil rights activist. Um, Whereas your people were kind of like their whole life was that. Um, So I focused on that one event and then I kind of like did Time Lord and stuff for the astrology chart of that event. Oh, cool. So it's a little bit different. I like that. So first I'll tell you guys who she is. Um, So I'm just going to read a little blurb online. So Viola Desmond is a Canadian civil rights activist and black businesswoman from Nova Scotia. In 1946, she challenged racism at a new Glasgow cinema in Nova Scotia. Uh, She refused to leave the white only section of the Roseland Theater. Because of this, she was convicted of a misdemeanor tax on the one cent tax difference between the seat she paid for and the more expensive seat that she sat in. Mm -hmm. Um, Desmond's case is one of the most publicized incidents of racial discrimination in Canadian history and helped start the modern civil rights movement in Canada. 
in 2010, so way past when this happened, this happened in 1946, in 2010, Desmond was granted a posthumous pardon. I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, the first to be granted in Canada. In late 2018, so this is also what we're talking about with your guys, being recognized way after. In late 2018, Desmond became the first Canadian woman uh, to appear alone on a Canadian banknote, a $10 bill, which was wow. unveiled by fa- finance uh, finance ministry. Uh, bill more so, blah, blah, blah. So she's actually on the $10 bill in Canada right now, which is... Damn. So wow. cool. So she was, she was not only the first black woman, but first woman in general to be on uh, that yeah. bill, um, which is really interesting. So I'm going to go right into her birth chart, actually. All right. So uh, her birth chart, she is a Sag Moon, Cancer Sun, Leo Rising. Um, so I thought this was just speaking about being a civil rights activist, the things that like kind of draw me attention draw attention to that in her chart for me um and the fact that it was kind of just like a one incident thing that really kick-started her being a civil rights activist was um so her sag moon of course belief systems are super strong what she believed in and her sag moon is in the eighth house uh, the fifth house sorry at 29 degrees once again that 29 degree so it was super important for her to express that out loud to someone what she believed in and what she believed in was no i can sit in whatever freaking seat in the movie theater i want Mm -hmm. um and another thing that drew drew attention to me was her cancer son and then uh, mercury in cancer because I feel like that situation was very like emotionally driven like someone said something to her and she was like no I'm not moving and they gave her that misdemeanor which is very cancerial being like emotionally driven by what you're doing yeah mm. um, and then so when this incident happened in 1946 I'm believing oh yeah 1946 I am saying that date correctly She was 32 years old. So this would be um, an eighth house, Time Lord year, uh, Mm -hmm. Perfections year. Um, And her eighth house is ruled by Pisces, where her North Node is in Pisces. And for me, Pisces is very much like we are all the same Mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. We are all one. Um, So Pisces, her eighth house. So when the Time Lord, the eighth house... Pisces that means that her Jupiter was lit up and her Mm. Jupiter is in the seventh house of Aquarius conjunct her Uranus very loosely conjunct but Mm. um so that abundant energy bringing good luck to that like dramatic change that okay let's make a change and very humanitarian Aquarius energy as well also out of nowhere Mm. energy like just like sudden yeah yeah. Which I see the setting as that Uranus and then also that cancer too. Like she was just mm-hmm. like, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I like that all three of our people have that 29 degree, like important placement in their chart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. But those were the, oh, also really funny. Her Mercury mm-hmm. is at 29 degrees. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Her Mercury at 29 cancer. Um, and that's in her 12th house. Mm-hmm. 
how interesting I feel like these sensitive points are really being activated for like when we're talking about them like Viola her 12 or her eighth house being the uh it was being a perfection year oh wait wait, wait. no I was like oh and yeah and uh Chiron's in Pisces yeah yep. you know mm-hmm. so it's that like really healing I'm <laughs> like I'm gonna heal yeah. the world now like I need to I'm going to put in my work to help heal the world mm-hmm. um, coming from a place of, I need this healing too. Mm-hmm. And then with Alice Allison, you know, that Pluto conjunct the moon, like Sierra, you're feeling that transit. That's her life. Oh, shit, you know, yeah. like <laughs> that transformation through how she's feeling on an everyday basis, yeah. you know, but that being a ma- major factor in how she lives her life. And then um, with Audra, the Chiron in Taurus and her moon in Taurus in the eighth house, like in both of those being in the eighth house, like Chiron and, and Pluto, like these are all really transformational, intense vulnerabilities um, that are highlighting how they how they help heal the world. Yeah. Also, I feel like that eighth house energy and like Pluto and all of that, it's all about like, okay, on this earthly plane, maybe we show up in different colors, but the universe is way more than that. And none of that fucking matters. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I feel like that's like just super important. Like, yeah, in this earthly plane, how we're living right now, we look like we're different colors, but take away our bodies. And if we're just souls, nothing is different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we sort of have to treat ourselves differently now because it's damage control for how we have, you know, how people have treated each other. Mm -hmm. And so now we do have to treat each other differently because we need to do damage control and make sure there's like equanimity and equality and and justice for Mm -hmm. everybody. Yeah. Um, one thing that was like infuriating was, I'm sorry, my approach is like, I'm infuriated by this thing. I'm angered by this thing. <laughs> like, I'm glad Sierra has that like positivity, like, let's bring it back. <laughs> but, uh, one thing Sierra that you said was that journal saying race instead of black or instead, you know, that yeah. like just lumping anybody that isn't white in just your race. And that it just, that's so maddening. It's maddening. But the way that I took it was that we're not letting ourselves be called colored or negro and we're taking the power to call ourselves this like that's mm. that's how i took but, it oh, okay who was it was it, it was like... a black owned newspaper it was an african-american okay. newspaper oh, so, okay gotcha but i i agree with what you're saying but i think that in at least how i took it in this case and again what i am open to being properly educated on this but that's that's how i took it where it was um you know taking that kind of I don't know that kind of it was them taking the power back yeah okay I didn't realize that that's how I took Uh, that so interesting and I think now that that has sort of switched it's like no like people are taking the power back by saying what they are like I am black and I'm proud or I'm Mm -hmm. you know I'm a brown person like even saying brown is not offensive and I know like I'll say that around people who are maybe of older generations it's like oh my god you can't say that and it's like actually no it's like taking the power that that person owns who they are and they own what they look like. Um, uh, but obviously, like Sierra said, very open to being educated in, uh, in a compassionate way, because this is a yeah. sensitive topic and trying to learn and be the best version of ourselves, especially in the time that we're living in. Um, and I think it's interesting to look at, like, when we look at mundane astrology, astrology of the world how we've been put through all of the saturnian energy of capricorn and aquarius like 
we have Pluto in Capricorn and Saturn yeah. was in Capricorn, then in Aquarius for a lot of COVID and for the Black Lives Matter really got yes. um, publicized so much more and people started to really join that movement. Uh, and then, you know, and then Pluto is going to be moving into Aquarius next year. So it's still going to be ruled by Saturn, but it's going to be not in Capricorn, which is like this government uh, authority. It's going to be, no, we need progress. And that's yeah. when change, I think, from what I look at in astrology, that's when I think change is really going to happen. Because not only do we have that Aquarius, but we'll have like Saturn in Pisces where people will be recognizing that like, hey, we are all the same. We are, yeah. we are all the same. Oh, um, I'm so excited for Pluto to go in Aquarius. I think we're we're like aching for that as a society mm-hmm. holy moly yeah i agree and as a personal i like personally i'm so grateful for the moment when pluto is no longer hanging out with my moon <laughs> it's gonna be square my moon damn it <laughs> i'm like pluto and my moon have been well acquainted for long enough but i yeah. but that's interesting like i didn't think about that the um uh Al- alice allison she has her moon conjunct her Pluto, like her natal Mm. moon conjunct her natal Pluto. So like her entire existence is like emotional transformation, emotional transformation, emotional transformation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and some of us, especially, well, any, anybody who has a moon in Capricorn and anybody who has a moon in Aquarius will soon feel it. But like, uh, we've been feeling that for a while as Capricorn moons and, um, Mm. And yeah, wherever Pluto is, whatever placements it's near. But I also, I like what you said though, about how um, hopefully we'll get to this place of realizing like it literally doesn't matter, but at the same Mm. time that, but it has, and it, and because it has, it needs to be talked about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. This was a fun episode. I actually really liked like looking at people's charts like that. Honestly, we Mm -hmm. should do this again. We should do this more often. I like yeah. seeing how like, you know, historical figures, how that, I don't know, shows up. And I like, this is not completely on topic at all, but I know that we did a, we did a Hamilton episode um, way mm. back when. And, um, and I knew that both like Lin-Manuel Miranda and Alexander Hamilton were Capricorns, but they were both Capricorns and Capricorn moons. And then you <laughs> look into like, so I was like looking into, you know, actors astrology and, uh, and historical figure astrology, like last night. And then discussing this with you guys today, it's something where you just, you know, when we're living it, we're like, oh, this is like my Mars being activated, or this is my, you know, Venus, blah, blah, blah. But it's really interesting to look at what we know about a historical figure's life and then to look at their chart alongside of it and see mm-hmm. how those things show up. And I think it helps us learn how those things can show up in people that we know based on mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And we just like even degree theory, which we'll get into eventually, but that 29 degree and the considered mm-hmm. a famous placement and looking at where our historical figures had 29 degrees in their chart. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I, I think that's such an, uh, a fascinating like facet of astrology is like historical astrology. And oh, yeah. like by knowing the past, by knowing history better, that's how you become better suited and like better prepared for the future because yeah. you see how certain aspects or transits affected um, the past or affected the world in the past. Like mundane astrologers are, are just geniuses in my mind. It's insane how they just have all of this information about what's happened in the past and, and that informs what's going to happen in the future. Um, so yeah, really, it's so fascinating. I really, really uh, enjoyed this. I, I, I like 
very much like honoring people who did amazing things. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, this was really, really cool. And thank you guys for, for teaching, teaching me about some cool people yeah, and vice versa. Absolutely. All right. Well, why did we decide to honor these amazing people, women of color, let's say this Juneteenth, Martha? Because the stars made us do it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.